The subject of this series is a duo of rapists and killers that terrorized the greater Toronto area of Ontario, Canada in the late 80s and early 90s, preying on girls as young as 13 up to women in their early 20s. No bus station or school was safe from this highly unlikely couple that would, more than once, use their looks and charm to push the spotlight off of themselves with the help of some, let's say, less than spectacular police work, they would be free to rape and kill, and rap, if that's what you can call it, before anger and ego would lead to their eventual downfall. With one known as the Scarborough Rapist and the Schoolgirl Killer, and the other known as the Witch of Ontario, as a team they will forever be known as, well, the papers would call them, the Ken and Barbie Thrill Killers. Yeah, we're getting all true crimey on ya. Today, we bring you episode one of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. I'm Kevin Young. And I have nothing but smooth plastic where my genitals should be. <laughs> Daniel Hergen. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Hasbro or Mattel, whoever makes them. And this is Torture. I was going to say, at least they gave Action Man a pair of skin-colored jocks. <laughs> the budgie smugglers. Uh... Uh, I haven't seen the the movie yet. I want to, but I just I, I we haven't gotten around to it. You know, so I have. Have you? So, you like it? Yeah. 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 No, it's it's one of those things where it it, it has all that like I get the message behind it and all that stuff. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. It's all cool. Yeah. Um, it's a bit wacky. There is um a scene in it that I think was worth going to see the movie for the one scene. Oh, which is like a, the 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 can off. Um, yeah. which, uh, anybody who's seen it will know what it is. Uh, so dance sequence and everything. It's yeah, we it's, had... it's like somebody was sitting there writing a movie, then took LSD and then let's make this scene. So <laughs> those are the best ones. We we could have seen it a while back. We went out and saw a movie, which is kind of rare for us because you know money's tight for everybody, and we just don't have time. Uh, and we had a chance we could go see that, and we chose to see the vo the last voyage of the Demeter, and uh, leave that at what it is. <laughs> yeah. No, not good. No, it's okay. It wasn't horrible. <laughs> wasn't great. I wouldn't. I mean, I saw it once. That's all I need. I, you know, need to see it. It was a, your know. typical Dracula movie. Nothing super scary. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of scary, I went to see the Nun too the other night. Mm -hmm. It was good. Better yeah. than the first one. Better than the first and one. I enjoyed the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 okay. Did you see the first one? Yeah. First yeah, one so I, think, I didn't find the nun scary in the first one. No, I didn't. You know, find it, it wasn't much to it. Like, yeah. it was like, oh, wow, there's a nun walker in the halls. Big fucking walk. But yeah. this one, they actually show what she can do. 
Like, oh, that's good. Well, yeah, and it's one of the better jump scares I've come across. It actually made me jump. With so. with those movies, like the Conjuring movies and all that, that whole series, they uh, they're good with like the tense horror. You know, like you yeah. know something's gonna happen, and you could feel it in the air. You just have to wait for it. And that was the, the the one part of the nun that was scary was when she's standing in the uh, the office looking at the painting, and you know something's gonna fucking happen. And all of a sudden, she's yeah, talking, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just rah, you know, and you're waiting for it. Even seeing it in the fucking trailer, you're waiting for it, but you're still that that's you know. Other than that, that was the only part of it that was even remotely scary. So yeah, just just it's an awful lot of tense stuff in this. There are a couple of really good jump scares, like an awful lot of your bone doing this. <laughs> oh, good. Like I'm glad because <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't super excited about. I was like, oh, you know, I don't really need a second nun. But I mean, if you say it's it's good, then I'll I'll watch. I won't go to the theaters. I'm sure I'll wait for it to come out on. I can rent it at home or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's idea. It's definitely better. So Dan, what do you know? Have you do you know anything about uh, Ken and Barbie Killers, Paul Bernardo? No, I, I I intentionally have avoided anything once we started talking about it before because I hate ruining the really weird stuff on sure. myself. You know, um, I I've heard of them without mm-hmm. necessarily looking into them, and I guarantee you, with some cases of the pop culture side of the house, I have guarantee you I've seen some of the stuff without realizing it was them. It's a good possibility. They, uh, you know, there's TV shows and movies that have kind of, uh, not like directly said this is based on, you know, that, but kind of alluded to them or, or kind of mirrored their story a little bit. It's a, it's kind it's a wild one. And, uh, well, you'll see when we get into it. I, I'm sure some of our listeners know who they are. Some might not. Uh, before we get really into it, I just get just uh, trigger warnings every fucking where. Uh, if I had a shotgun that I could shoot off or fireworks just filled with trigger warnings, I would do it. Because, listen, if you're not big on sexual assault, which... Okay, I put that wrong. Nobody's big on sexual assault, but if it's if if sexual assault uh, triggers Unless you, that guy for that seventy show. <laughs> oh, yeah, and apparently the rest of the cast, except for Topher Grace, which is, mm. I was so let down when I saw that Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis came out uh, and wrote a, a a letter to get him less time. It's like put the motherfucker away for the rest of his life. Fuck him. Fuck him. But Topher Grace is the hero in that. Um, but anyway, if if you're not, if if sexual assault, especially sexual assault of, uh, uh, I'm technically their kids, you know, young teenagers, technically still a kid. If that type of stuff, domestic abuse, uh, all that, all that shit, if that bothers you at all, might not be the series for you to listen to because. There's a lot See of you then. <laughs> See ya. See ya. No, you're stuck. <laughs> you're, you don't have a choice. You're stuck. Everybody else can go. You're stuck. Um, normally, Recording. I stopped. Yeah. Normally, I would put, uh, like, time codes in the uh, description that you can jump to. But there's really no point with this one because it's pretty much just the whole Chock fucking full. thing. So. Uh, especially, well, the second and third episode are, are obviously the worst, but the first, this, this one's not going to be 
great either. Um, so just uh, have that in mind, and not gore so much. Just you, you, everybody, you're gonna, if you don't feel dirty after listening to these episodes, there's something wrong with you. I felt dirty, <laughs> just, and I already knew the fucking story. Uh, what I can say is that I'm super happy that we're finally covering this, so when we're all done with it, I never have to hear about Paul Bernardo or Carla Homolka again, because holy fuck, I hate them so goddamn much. So, and it's not even, I mean, the, the, the rape obviously adds to it, but you put that aside, the rape and the murder, they're just shitty fucking people. They're just, they're, they're they're the type of people you just don't like, you know? They're Paul's a fucking narcissist. He thinks he's the best at fucking everything. And Carla's just, you know, a bitch. It's, it, they're just horrible fucking people. I fucking hate them so goddamn it's much. Great, and she's a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, but all right. Damn assholes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll see. That's the thing, though. They're both. Oh, mm. They're both actually very bright, but they're still fucking idiots. We'll get into it. Let's fucking get into it. All right. So Carla Leanne Homolka, the eldest of three dollars, dollars, daughters. Eldest three dollars. I looked. I looked. I, I looked at daughters, and then I looked three uh, words over had an L in it, and I put the two together because that's how reading. Isn't supposed to work. Uh, the eldest of three daughters born to Carl or Carol and Dorothy Homolka. It's like it's like how Rick says Rick says Carl. Yeah, Carl it's, 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 on, it's, yeah. A, it's a Carl girl. Oh, Carl. Yeah. Uh, no wonder she turned into a psychopath. <laughs> Carl as your father. Like, uh, she came into this world May fourth, nineteen seventy, at Mississauga General Hospital in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada. Her sister Lori, born a year later, and Tammy. Poor, poor Tammy was born in 1975. Now, normally I wouldn't bother, you know, going into, you know, with the siblings. But in this case, it'll be important later. Now, the same year Tammy was born, they settled in St. Catharines, Ontario. Now, as a child, Carla was asthmatic and hospitalized frequently, but by, but by all indications was bright and as quoted in our primary reference material, Invisible Darkness by Stephen Williams, the, the book titles for this story are fucking ridiculous, by the way. They, they, yeah. Yeah, look up any book about Par Paul Bernardo and Carlo Homolka, and they the, the book titles are just stupid. They're named that for a reason, which we'll get to later, but they're still fucking stupid. Anyway, she was cute as a button. She talked early, walked early, and read early. In grade school, she was tested and scored a 131 IQ, which is just one point below Mensa level. So, again, she's, she's bright. IQ does not necessarily mean great grades in school or common fucking sense. <laughs> it doesn't. She ain't got them street smarts. No, she doesn't. She's No, she doesn't. Uh, she would forever be bad at math and science, which will possibly be the reason for tragedy later on. There we go. 
I had thought about doing for people who are listening and not watching. Uh, Dan just changed his background to the computer animated version of Ken and Parvy. I the first decent picture I've come across. I specifically didn't do that because I don't really want to combine the two. I have. I don't know if you watch wrestling. We're big wrestling fans over here, but uh, one of our my favorite wrestlers of all time just passed away a while ago, named Bray Wyatt, and that was his symbol. Oh. So that's my little homage to him. Um anyway. She, yeah. Yeah, he was he was uh same age as me. Something like that. Yeah, he was he was young. So there's a get into this real quick. Uh parent, you could technically say he died of COVID because he, he was out for a while, got COVID. Um it it uh damaged his heart like the lower yeah. chambers of his heart. And he was told to have a um, defibrillator on when he goes to sleep because his heart could stop. And he left it in the car instead of putting it on, went, took a nap. And when they checked him, he was blue and cold. So, Ouch. yeah. Take your doctor's advice, kids. Anyway. So she was bad at math and science, but she did excel in English and language. So Carla's father, Carl, or Carol, or however you want to pronounce it, it's K-A-R-E-L, so technically it's Carol, but he immigrated to Canada in the 50s from Czechoslovakia, so it's however they would pronounce it. And he became a traveling salesman not long after settling in St. Catharines, selling lamps and lighting fixtures to furniture stores. She would later tell a therapist that she could never marry a man like her father, always away and never a steady paycheck. She was actually so fixated on her father's shortcomings that she grew to love Arthur Miller's death of a salesman. Uh, She and two friends acted out on a video the story for a high school project where she portrayed Willie Loman as Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd characters in the SNL skit, Wild and Crazy Guys. Uh, I've never seen that. Have you seen, you've seen Wild and Crazy Guys. I don't think I have, no. Really? Oh. SNL isn't really, I've seen loads of SNL skits, but it's not something that we have here. So. Oh, okay. Well, when you get I'd a chance, to intentionally go looking forward. If you yeah, know. when you get a chance, look up wild and crazy guys on SNL. They're fucking great. Um, now, like most teenagers, she changed as she got older, less open to her parents, a darker sense of humor, rebellious, telling her father to fuck off or calling him a dumb check, uh, becoming interested in the occult, wearing dark colors, that kind of shit. She told a friend once, "Quote, you know what I'd like to do." Put dots all over somebody's body and take a knife and then play connect the dots and pour vinegar all over them. We've all been there. Yeah, I mean, we've all, we all get the intrusive thoughts. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Uh, you get boyfriends, have sex, even though she would claim that the boys she dated were nice to her and the sex was just sex, she would also say that she found them boring. You see, Carla which for most men is the epitome of red flags, loved drama. Now, some people are going to be out there saying, no, she didn't. She just liked a guy to to tell her what to do. It's like, no, Carla liked fucking drama. Deal with it. I don't need Carla apologists coming at me. Fuck her. Uh, 
So she didn't want somebody to be nice to her and give her what she wanted. She wanted a guy that would put her in her place to, you know, be a, quote, real man. <laughs> yes, back of the hand, goddamn. She'll get it. Don't worry. She asked for it. She will get it. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not something to really laugh at, but fuck Carla Homolka. Uh, now, by the time she was in 12th grade at Sir Winston Churchill Secondary School, the largest in St. Catharines, she had all but quit school, only taking a few classes so she could work more. Carla had always loved animals, so she started working at the number one pet center in Penn Center Mall, part-time the year earlier, when she started working more and took over a full-time spot, her friend Debbie took her part-time position. Now, this leads us to October of 1987, and the two were invited to a convention in Toronto for people involved in the pet industry at the Howard Johnson East Hotel in Scarborough. Very fancy, I'm told. That evening, the two, despite their manager's sage advice of don't bring strange men back to your room. <laughs> with that's, I <laughs> ladies, that's just good advice. Don't bring guys you meet in the restaurant at a Hojo's back to your room, for fuck's sake. Or else, you know, you become a rapist and murderer at some point. So was it like the gateway? Yeah, that's the gate. That's the gateway. Like, the gateway drug. Smoke marijuana next thing you're doing heroin. You pick up a guy at the bar next thing you're you're murderer. Murdering people. Uh, so even though she with that sage advice, uh, they went down to the hotel restaurant to look for some men anyway. Oh, why not? Yeah, sure. Fuck it. I mean, if she's you're just young, going down there, single. Yeah, if you, yeah, she's and look. If if you look at pictures of Carla Homolka from back then, she's blonde. She's beautiful. She's fairly intelligent, minus the common sense. Uh, so going down to meet a guy or, or just, you know, see if you can get some free drinks or something, you know, whatever, uh, that if, and if that's just what it was, that'd be fine. But unfortunately for many to come, uh, it's not, uh, it's not what happens. I've looked up pictures of her and she looks like you look at her eyes and she (laughs) looks like fucking trouble. She does. She has dead eyes, but so does Paul Bernardo. Uh, I can imagine their children would probably have tails. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Bernardo looks like he wants to be in fucking Duran Duran. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm guessing you're looking at the pictures from after he got picked up and he's in he's in like a police car or he, he's getting ready for court because he, he does some stuff with his hair to make him look... Um, I, I don't know if he's trying to make himself look more innocent or what, but yeah, he comes off as like a... a coked out 80s musician um, yeah like spandau ballet that's actually yeah. what he looks like he looks like he's a member of spandau ballet right there that's what but like. if you look at pictures of him when he wasn't picked up by the police he looks he looks more like a surfer boy uh yeah he does a bit yeah he looks like ken almost from ken and barbie so let's hmm. take a quick turn from carla for a minute So, from a girl with a relatively stable and normal childhood to, as Monty Python would like to say, something completely different. Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born at Scarborough General Hospital on August 27, 1964, to Ken and Marilyn Bernardo. 
Now, Marilyn cried out with horror at the sight of her newborn baby as he had a giant black mark Penis. covering the entire left <laughs> side of his head. She threw it away! So close. I was so close at my guess there. What I don't you even think? think you heard me. Giant. He said he had a giant, and I said penis. <laughs> no. No, it will get him in plenty of trouble, though. Um, it was a transient blood clot that eventually faded away. After that, he was said to be, quote, the most beautiful child in the world. Blonde hair, blue eyes, bright white skin, and in all context paul bernardo is a perfectly fine looking individual he's not like except for the dead eyes the blank stare he's he's not like i don't feel overly good looking but he's not super ugly i think he's just a normal looking guy you know he yeah he looks like every guy i'd ever imagine in like the 80s really he like, looks when, like, like every... you know when you watch these no like you know like when you watch these um shows that um but they did recreations of like right. murders and kidnappings all this stuff and it's a bit set in the 80s and there's always yeah. some guy kind of hanging around he looks yeah. just like those okay. yeah he'd <laughs> be like yeah. perfect tv actor. extra <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it, it and not you know foreshadowing uh that same thought will be what lets him continue to do what he does for a very long time that he just looks like everybody yeah well, you'll see when we get there it won't be too long uh, it took him much longer to start talking than other kids, still only making grunts and stammers at about two and a half years old. Turned out his tongue was attached to the palate of his, in his mouth by a flange of skin, like a duck's foot. He had a webbed mouth. I'm sure he could swim backwards crazy. <laughs> Just a motorboat. What is that? It's Paul. <laughs> the human jet ski. <laughs> but once it was removed, he talked to no end and will continue this for the rest of his life, never shutting the fuck up. His parents quickly reversed the surgery and stitched his mouth shut. <laughs> Can you please glue this <laughs> shit? They're like, you remember the really bad Wolverine movie and the really bad Deadpool that was in the Wolverine movie, No Mouth? Could you do that for me, please? God, the <laughs> world would have been so much better if Paul Bernardo didn't have a fucking mouth. Now, Paul's father, well, the man that raised Paul, Ken, from a... Uh, also came from a family with a history of bad apples, to say. Ken would watch his father beat his mother until about the age of five or so. His older brother Raymond was a criminal who was diagnosed twice as a psychopath and would humiliate the family by being, having his name put in the local paper after arrests. He eventually, Raymond, the psychopath, eventually became a police officer. <laughs> Because of fucking course he did. <laughs> uh, his grandfather also had his run-ins with the law and was known to beat his wife as well. Now, Ken and Marilyn married in the early 60s after Marilyn had to make the excruciating choice of being with Ken instead of a man named Bill, whom she really loved. All because Ken had graduated from Wilford Laurel University and Bill had not. Her father forbade her from marrying an uneducated man. 
I don't care if he beats the shit out of you. He's got a diploma. <laughs> I mean, it's just thinking that. It's so fucking ridiculous. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, that's what I don't is. know. Yeah, yeah it, it's starting to sound like as well, like the, the whole family. It's like the typical family cast and every slasher movie and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're just all bad. Yeah. Now, Ken almost immediately started slapping Marilyn around. Their first child, David, came in 61, and their daughter, Debbie, in 62. Ken continued to beat up his wife. Now, also during this time, Ken took a job on the outskirts of Toronto and continued to study accounting, meaning he was absent, either physically or mentally, most of the time, or both. Uh, now, you might think, well... Paul had to have gotten his bad traits from his father's side of the family. They were criminals and wife beaters, which is, you know, a very astute observation. I mean, that, that that's sensible to think, well, his dad did it, his dad did it, and his uncle did it, and God knows how many more people do it, so of course he's going to do it too. But there's a problem with that line of thinking, at least in this case. He wasn't it's... college educated, therefore... <laughs> Well, you see, the breaking point for Marilyn came on the same day Jack Kennedy was shot. Marilyn couldn't take the loneliness and abuse anymore and went to find refuge in the arms of old Bill. Uh Uh-huh. Now, Ken would find out about the affair a little over a month later and decide that they couldn't stay so close to his wife's lover. He didn't want to be a fucking cuck. Nah. Uh, and decided that uh, they were going to move the family from Kitchener, two hours away, to Scarborough. A little over seven months later, Canada's worst, or at least one of its worst citizens, was born. I wonder who the daddy is. Let's <laughs> get angry. <laughs> now, he was, as stated by Marilyn herself, selfish and stubborn. He spent his childhood watching his father insult his mother. Quote, boom, 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 look out, here comes the big fat cow. <laughs> Which, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not original, but I guess it gets the point across. This man is educated. <laughs> He's, a, I went to school. <laughs> I'm an accountant. I know, what a, I know what a cow is. All I can think of is that. that it's you, bitch. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back around to SNL. I don't know if you've seen this skit where Will Ferrell is sitting at the dinner table with his wife and daughter and they keep getting in arguments and he keeps saying stupid shit to shut them up. He's, I, I, I drive a Dodge Stratus. That's all I think. Was, I, 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 I'm an accountant. I have many suits and ties. Don't me beat you with my diploma, bitch. Now, by the time Paul was in high school, Marilyn had developed a type of thyroid issue. She gained a lot of weight, had a sour mood, and never cleaned or cooked. So sequestered to the basement by her husband, Paul could hear Ken sometimes sneak downstairs in the middle of the night to, quote, have sex with it, and then run back up to his room. What? What? <laughs> Yeah, because his dad uh, pretty much forced her to live in the basement, and then every once in a while he'd sneak downstairs, have sex with his Oh, the father. Oh, I thought you were saying 
I thought you were saying fucking Paul was going there. No, 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 no. Ken, 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 Ken was. Oh, all right, all right. So Ken goes down to ride the cow, (laughs) comes back up. Uh, No real love loss for Marilyn either. She's kind of horrible in all this. Too. I don't get a whole lot into the some of the shit she does, but she's she's not she's not great. Nobody nobody in this fucking story is great except for like poor Tammy because she doesn't. Have fair, if, you know. if I was forced to live in a basement and I was caught a cow and then a person kept like just coming down just to have their way with me, yeah, I wouldn't be a very nice person either. Probably so. wouldn't be. Yeah, probably wouldn't be super sweet to anybody either. Yeah. Now, this would be nowhere near the worst thing Ken would do. One night in June, the police came to the door around 3 in the morning to ask Ken why he was prowling around the neighborhood in his pajamas, peeping into people's windows. Yes, old Kenny was a peeping Tom. Oh, and that's not even to mention the fact that, huh? I said, said, what the fuck, like... (laughs) That's not even to mention the fact that uh, he sexually assaulted his own daughter. So here's that uh, here's that uh, child touching that I was talking about. Like it's it's because you have like a book sitting there with a little checklist like how how to be an asshole one on one or something or something like that. How to be a dummy for dummies, and he's just like going through each bit. You know, it's like yeah, beat your wife, yeah, treat her like shit, yeah, lock her in the basement, treat my kids like shit, sexually assault my kids. Looking through other people's windows. I just think of uh, the Grinch when he's doing his checklist. Is like, beat the wife, lock the wife downstairs, and touch yeah. the daughter. <laughs> I gotta go peeping mm. Tom. I gotta have time for that. <laughs> but what would I wear? <laughs> My pajamas. There you go. Uh, so Debbie, Debbie could never really remember exactly when it all started, but she could recall him sneaking into her room at night, uh, hanging out on the eaves outside of her window to watch her undress. Every Sunday night, the family would sit in the living room and watch Walt Disney. Uh, Marilyn would lay with the boys, and Ken would call Debbie over. Now, while they watched Mickey Mouse bounce around on the screen... He would finger her to her dismay. Now, more than likely, Marilyn knew. So, people grew up... Paul grew up around some fucked up shit, which probably didn't help his development. You know, the whole nature versus nurture thing. Um, It doesn't have to be biological for you to fuck a kid up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's, that's an awful lot of... An awful, awful lot shit going on there yeah as he grew his charisma and charm began to take over silver tongued and pretty much able to talk the pants off any girl he wanted and he wanted a lot of them now while in 10th grade his mother stormed into his room threw a picture at him and told him that ken wasn't his father the man bill in the picture was his real father she said he was a bastard and he needed to get over it uh, this made him hate his mother even more than he already did. He would use this trauma to get the ladies. The whole... I was going to say... Yeah. I was going to say, imagine the person to your room just shouting at you, you're a bastard, get over it. It's like, well, I didn't know what it was to begin with, so <laughs> I was fine. 
beforehand. I was over when I didn't know I had to be over. Yeah. Or she says, you're a bastard, get used to it, or something like that. So, I just found this shit out. But apparently he looked exactly like Bill. I mean, from what he right. says, he looked at the picture and it was like looking at a fucking mirror. He looked exactly right. like this Bill guy. So, ah, well. But yeah, he would. Dimple Dick Bob. Yeah, he would do the uh, the whole oh poor me, I've never met my real dad and my mother's horrible thing to get you know girls to feel sorry for him, think they could fix him, all this shit, you know. (laughs) That's how (laughs) sex. What's wrong? You okay? No, my mom's horrible, and I just found out I'm a bastard. Oh, is there anything I can do for you? (laughs) I mean. You can touch my penis. (laughs) (laughs) If you want. Uh, But see, he would quickly find that the standard sex stuff, the flirting, kissing, sneaking off to fill each other up, didn't quite get the old blood pumping, if you know what I mean. Uh, Then he started hanging out with the Smyrnus brothers, Steve, Alex, and Van. Petty criminals, all macho and shit. Uh, they, her, their parents owned a pizzeria, and they'd steal pizza from their parents and give it to people for like stolen gas or money or friends or whatever. I mean, and, and then they'd rob from people. They're, they're just skeevy motherfuckers. Uh, Paul's attitude towards women changed when he started hanging out with them. He began to fancy younger females. So. Ah. Trigger warning. <laughs> Trigger warning. Yeah, everywhere. Like Jennifer Galligan, who was 15 when he was 22. And he yeah, would. That's, a, that's, that's wrong. gross. <laughs> and he would only have anal sex or receive fellatio from her. Now, this is something Paul will pretty much demand from most of the girls he has intercourse with, not necessarily because he likes it as far as the anal sex goes, uh, probably because they didn't like it and they didn't want to do it. And that's what made him want it because he knew that he was forcing them to do something they didn't want to do. But I don't know. He's got this charm and he's able to get these women these uh, women if he, he wouldn't be able to get a woman to do anything he's always going after the girls so he's he, he's getting these girls to do that because children are easily manipulated uh and by the time they're old enough to know better they are stuck that's kind of his mo so yeah <clears throat> <laughs> Told you, you wouldn't like him. Well, yeah, of course I came into this episode thinking, what the talk of? Paul and I are going to be buddies after this. He can't be near as bad as Kevin is making him out. Yeah, I'm going to give gonna him a right fair shake. The <laughs> yeah, so it was all a power thing for him. Uh, sex between Jennifer and Paul was anything but sensual. He enjoyed hurting and humiliating her. She learned to cry out in pain at just the right moment to get him off. He's one of those motherfuckers. He liked to shove wine bottles into her, which is something he will do for a lot of the women going down the road. And some of the ones he rapes, he, t- he finds wood, blocks of wood, and puts up in there. Um, 
remnant of the rape of Nan King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he didn't want to. Do that, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> now, this yeah, went on for about. flashbacks. <laughs> just all you just have PTSD from having to listen to the rape of Nan King. Yeah. Now, Once this was one, enough. This went on for about three years, hitting her and insulting her. He loved to use rope or other type of ligature around her neck when he got her from behind, demanding that she, quote, arch her back, which is another thing that uh, he says a lot to these to these girls that he attacks. Um, he I, I don't know. I think he thought that it hurt them. Or it got the right angle. I don't know. But he says this to a lot of them. Arch your back. Um, he would take very personal pictures of her and threaten to put them up on the bulletin board at her church. He also enjoyed cheating on her. Like with Lenore Marcos, who ended up putting her fist through a stained glass through his stained glass window by his front door while Jennifer was there. Uh, they didn't know about each other. She, she's like coming home from the movies and she's like, I'll swing by Paul's. And she sees somebody else's car there. And she walks up. She sees shoes there. So she's knocking on the door. Nobody's answering. So she puts her door, her hand through the fucking stained glass window. It's blood everywhere. Jesus. Man. Yeah, it's pretty fucking metal. Um, uh, now, Lenore was a woman he was going to university with. Uh, they took many of the same classes and both got to accounting. He, just like Ken, enrolled in the Institute of Chartered Accountants, and the two of them ended up getting jobs at Price Waterhouse. That was a decent job, any standard, about $28,000 a year then, which is about $64,000 a year now. It's not bad for a guy in his mid-20s, you know, especially, you know, especially then, especially then. Um the only thing Paul loved as much as women was money, you know, and movies and rap. But from the time he started high school, he was working some kind of part-time job, delivering newspapers, working security, waiting tables, distributing Amway for a while. Uh, a very 80s thing to do. Uh, he will Distributing con- what? Amway. I don't know if you guys m- might not have Amway. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, it's a pyramid scheme, pretty much. You oh, okay. you sell a product, but you're not really selling products. You're selling the opportunity to sell the product to other people. So they pay <laughs> you for the opportunity to sell the product, and then you pay the person yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. going through and so forth. So you know, uh, This isn't one of those pyramid schemes. This yeah, is the yeah. trapezoid. It's the, the LuLaRoe type thing with the the leggings that they have and mary Kay, pretty much they're all the same yeah 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 Yeah. sell the product and you can become a great rich entrepreneur yeah well it's well have these parties uh sell some product but really sell the program to these people that's how you make your money is you sell the program so they can Uh. sell the product and no product ever gets sold it's everybody just buying the fucking program uh Anyway, he will continue to seek out money until the ball drops on him a few years later, whether it be an upstanding occupation like accounting or other slightly less legal activities. Now, it came the fateful night, October 17, 1987. Paul and Van Smyrnas were at the restaurant in the Howard Johnsons in Scarborough 
when a young blonde woman eating wings caught his eye. The two walked up to the table and introduced themselves. As Paul Bernardo met his future wife, Carla Homolka, the world could have completely stopped. Everything and everyone fell away. They sat and talked for an hour or so before Carla and Debbie asked Paul and Van to come back to their room to watch a movie. Now, with the four of them in the room, the movie on, Carla and Paul almost immediately started having sex. <laughs> with their friends in the room, on and off, Why not? for almost four hours. Like, that's just overkill. Come on. Ah, the ravages of her. youth. Yeah, I was going to say, he's 10 minutes, people. Then, you know. <laughs> yeah, then roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> nah. Just trying to show off. Well, he was he he's one of these guys that even after he came, he's still super fucking horny because, right. you know, whatever. And she's just, you know, she's a 17-year-old girl, so she can go. You know, she has the endurance of a fucking, you know, a whatever. The next morning, they exchanged information and went their separate ways. But the next weekend, Paul drove to St. Catherine's for a party at her house. They went to see Prince of Darkness, and then Carla took him to their basement and showed him her handcuffs. She, When she was in school, she'd have some handcuffs. She told everybody she wanted to be a cop. Um, obviously, she does not become a cop. But she had real handcuffs, so she'd carry them around, and she showed him her handcuffs. So he decided to put them on her behind her back and have her service him. If you, you know, Hmm. get the drift. Again, that, I mean, that's the fact that she's 17 and he's, you know, in his mid 20s. That's kind of creepy. She's only, you know, a year, a few months away from being technically legal. Whatever legal is in fucking Ontario. I don't know. Um they might have that creepy Romeo and Juliet law that they had to make a whole point about pointing out in that Transformers movie that time, which was just fucking ridiculous. True. It's the most, it's just like, oh. so even though Paul is kind of a piece of shit when it came with his other, you know, girlfriends or conquests, so far, him and Carla, they're, you know, they're, they're doing what two people who are going out do. They just, they, you know, have kinky sex, you know, whatever. Um, but then it, it gets it gets weird. Then it gets weird. Uh, he it, asked it gets her. Weird. <laughs> now, yeah, now it's going to get weird. Uh, he oh. asked her how she would feel if he was a rapist, and she said, "That'd be cool." <laughs> what the fuck? Ah. <laughs> uh. See, this I'm not point... just sitting on a couch. I'm not just, I just have to sit like, like myself, my wife watching TV or something in the afternoon. Just sitting there saying, How'd you feel if I was a rapist? You know, and it's just like, ah, yeah, whatever She's you like, want well, to. That's neat. That's fine. You thinking about getting yeah. into that? <laughs> Another hobby? You picking up a hobby? Yeah, it's 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 weird, isn't it? It's weird. Uh, at this point, he hadn't raped anyone yet. With, of course, the exception of the women he was, like, dating, like Jennifer, that he did horrible things to, especially when, you know, he would, like, strangle them with twine or rope, and then he would try, they would try to beg him to stop, but he wouldn't, which, yes. And if they're underage, though, then it? Yeah, yeah. Then so, th- that that is yeah. rape, yes. He was already a rapist. 
I'm not I'm not saying that what he was doing before wasn't right. He was definitely raping people, but at this point, he wasn't raping it was the consensual kind of yeah quote unquote yeah, well, consent. yeah, 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 yeah. that wouldn't have, yeah, yeah, hold yeah. up in court yeah um, yeah 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 but you yeah. know you all know what <laughs> you know what we're fucking talking about don't yeah. come at me <laughs> but at this point like he wasn't semantics here people he wasn't attacking and raping complete strangers uh yes. you know at, at knife point traumatizing them for life he wasn't doing that yet okay he was however groping women outside of various bus stops in the Scarborough area, um, which is still, it, you I, you can't technically call it rape, but it is still sexual assault. He was sexually assaulting strangers at this time. He just hadn't gone all the way yet. Um, but then he sort of got approval from Carla. He's like, can I do this? And she's like, oh, fuck. I'll yes, do it. Um, so he saw this permission, he saw this as permission and he would begin attacking and raping strangers. So again, uh, shoot off the cannon full of trigger warnings. Cause here we go. It's not going to be fun. Um, let me get my puke bucket. <laughs> you're going to need to dude. There's times in this series where I typed it out knowing I was going to have to say it out loud and like. I feel like there's a coat of like slime and gristle just all over, all over me. And I need to shout, trust me when I, you'll know it when I get there and you're going to be, you're not going to want to sit there anymore. It's just, it makes you feel dirty. Now, even though he has met that's Carla, be a comedy show, people, <laughs> that's a laugh riot. All these women died. Anyway, um, even though he has met Carla, the woman he will eventually marry, uh, and the woman that he claims to love and can't live without, he was still in a relationship with Jennifer, among others. Uh, About a month after they met, Paul graduated from the University of Toronto, and Jennifer accompanied Paul's parents to the ceremony, not Carla. I'm so disappointed in him. I was having such high praise for this guy until I found out he's been cheating on his underage woman with another underage woman. Paul. I mean, all the other shit aside, monogamy, man. Commitment. Fuck. Talk with your bros. One of the problems with growing a beard is proper beard care. Going on a website or even to a brick and mortar store and seeing dozens of different options of whether it be oils, washes, balms, lotions, razors, butters, or just a massive amount of different companies all trying to sell you virtually the same product with a different logo. It can be difficult and overwhelming. And even worse, <clears throat> see, I already fucked it up. <laughs> and even worse so if you're trying to buy beard products for someone else. Well, thebeardstruggle.com has made that process infinitely easier with their beard kits and bundles. Anything from a simple oil kit that gives you day tonic and night elixir. To the complete beard care bundle that gives you the day and night oils, beard shampoo, beard conditioner, beard balm, and the Viking Sea Mineral Beard Mask. The beard growth bundle that comes with the Boxster Growth Accelerator and the Derma Roller. To Cracky Shave Kit that gives you everything you need to keep your beard short and trimmed up. To the mother of all beard kits, the Apex Bundle 2.0. 
that comes with 15 different products, including the heated beard brush and straightener. And if you're still just not sure what bundle to get, you can take their beard routine quiz and the beard struggle will tell you what the best beard care routine and products are for your specific beard type and price range. The beard struggle takes the confusion out of what you get, what to get <laughs> Anyway, the beard struggle takes the... <laughs> The reading the ad struggle. <laughs> <laughs> the beard struggle takes the confusion out of what to get for your beard or that special beard wearer in your life. And the best part is since it's a bundle, you save money. And with our exclusive discount code, TORTURE19, that's T-O-R-T-U-R-E 19, you'll save even more, 19% at checkout. And with their 90-day money-back guarantee, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. And since they never test on animals, you can feel good supporting an ethical company that also produces a quality product. TheBeardStruggle.com. Do what's right for your beard. Do what's right for your face. Sort your fucking beard out. Now, after a few drinks, Paul started accusing Jennifer of cheating with other men. Because that's what they do. Anytime your partner is adamant you're cheating on them, there's a good there's a good chance that more than likely they think that you're cheating because that's what they're doing. I mean, at least in my experience. Uh, she you know, She's like, okay, whatever, kind of brushed it aside. She knew this was just kind of how Paul act. So she gave him her present. A very nice sweater, like one of those, not like, you know, Target sweater, but like one of those Nordstrom rack type sweaters, super expensive, super nice. You could wear it to the office and do all. And he absolutely blew up at her, telling the whole lounge, uh, he, he they got into it and he stands up and he looks at the lounge. He goes, this one's a slut. <laughs> and he walks, it's like, dude. What the fuck? Um, she she got up, went to find a phone to call her father for a ride home, and when she went outside, she found him doing donuts in the parking lot in his white capri. What? Just a douche. Just a douche. I'm all pissy. I'm gonna did go he, do. Did he have fingerless gloves on <laughs> and sunglasses at night? Just <laughs> listening to Duran Duran. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they both agreed that the relationship was over, but he said he needed to do the honorable thing and give her a ride home. She got in, and he locked the doors, made sure her seatbelt was nice and tight, and then began punching her every stoplight he would hit her over and over. Uh, They didn't go to her house either. They went to a deserted factory parking lot where they used to go parking, you know, as you do when you're, you know, in a relationship with an underage girl. (laughs) What else? You go parking. Can't be too much to do in Canada. Uh, She was bruised and swollen by then, and he pulled out his knife and held it to her throat. Now, luckily for her... When she jumped for the door, he dropped the knife in between the seats and couldn't get to it because he's a fucking Nimrod. (laughs) 
She jumps for it, and he's like, oh, and he just drops the knife. I mean, why? Why Just because she dr- lunges for her door, would you drop a knife? It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, she, she just, just she, moved, <laughs> she moved quick like a cat. And he's like, ah, and he just dropped the knife. <laughs> hey. Uh, anyway, Jennifer ran into the woods and got away. Mm-hmm. Slasher, ah, uh, that would cut, no, no, not ah, uh, but you know what I mean. I was gonna say, <laughs> it's gonna be like slasher killer say. style. That's thing. a weird noise to make, say, Dan. Yeah, I was gonna, I was expecting it to be like, you know, like a slasher movie goes chase her, chase it after, her and he's running, he's casually strolling, she trips, you know, and then she trips again over nothing, and eventually he catches up to her, and, crawls for um, instead of standing up and running again, she crawls yeah. for three quarters of a mile, she until he yeah, catches yeah, up. She, yeah. hits, she hits all the tro- tropes, and then she runs out to the road, she thinks she's safe, but she gets run over by a car, yeah. Done. And scene. And scene. No, no, that didn't happen. She had to she get gets, away. She God gets away. <laughs> she ruins the movie by just getting away. Sorry, Dan. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be in the description. We find out Dan is a horrible person. No. Yeah. The killer that nearly was. Oh, uh, This would just be a mere setback for the person that Paul was going to become. So there's no real way of knowing who the first was, but we're pretty sure started December of 1987, just two months after Carla gave him, quote-unquote, permission. Libby Ketchum. When I was born. Oh, yeah? Ooh. Mm. I was already around. I had already been around for a while. So, yay. Uh, Libby Ketchum got off the bus on December 16th, around 1030, in Scarborough. A small girl, 5 foot 4, 105 pounds, only 15 years old. She walked down the road from the bus stop. Paul ran up behind her, put his gloved hand over her mouth, and pulled her in between two houses, and then pulled out his knife. You're going to find that with most, most rapists are going to capture the girl take them somewhere secluded, take them into the woods, take them into a car, into a house where nobody can hear them. No, Paul just grabs them and pulls them in between houses. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, he's just like there, just like 30 feet off the road, just just there, raping a woman. Hey, excuse me, does this rag smell like chloroform to you? <laughs> just like Ace Ventura was... <laughs> When he jumps up on the back of the Dolphins player, he's just holding him chloroform over his mouth. <laughs> now, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's brazen. He's like, I'm just going to do this here. Nothing's going to happen. I'll be fine. Uh, he told her to be quiet if she wanted to live. He asked her her name and age and what grade she was in. Uh, I just lost my place. Fuck. Um, there we go. While... He ripped off her pants and shoved his hand between her legs. So, just a little conversation as you get felt up. Uh, She lied, said her name was Libby Totten. Then he took a coaxial cable, the kind that, you know, you hook into a TV. And he wrapped it around her neck. He raped her vaginally and anally over the next hour and a half. Most rapes... Just are just like quick. They attack you in some bushes or whatever. They get done what they need to get done and they take off. No, he takes his fucking time. I mean, he makes sure she's traumatized forever. Um, And he would do this all while asking about her boyfriend, how old he was, if she did that type of stuff with him. Like, 
That's another thing. Well, she does. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, she's a fifteen girl from Canada, fifteen year old girl from Canada. Of course she does. You fucking. Of course she goes down alleyways in between houses with coaxial cables and allows her boyfriend to do yeah. whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. For some reason, bet you her boyfriend wouldn't drop a knife between the damn chair seats <laughs> in the car. I jump for the door. He holds it steady. Uh, <laughs> this is something that he does a lot. He worry he he's interested in their boyfriends. Like he wants to so know like, their names. He wants to know how old they are. He wants to know you know what they do together. If he's better than you know he he doesn't care if he's better or not. He forces them to say that he's better than their boyfriends. He's just such an insecure narcissistic. There's some guy out there that he's getting one up on because he's not able to do it physically himself to get one up on any guy ever for anything. Yeah. He, uh, he went, look, go ahead. That's going to say, sounds like such a fucking asshole. He is. I told you, you'd fucking hate him. Not even for the rape stuff. My opinion has changed massively in the last (laughs) 40, whatever minutes. Yeah. Came into this with high hopes. Paul was going to be a good guy. (laughs) Covering him, recovering him on a true crime podcast it's like oh this is gonna be a nice guy he's gonna go i thought he's gonna be the hero of the story and he's gonna catch each other <laughs> carla's the rapist and paul's the hero yeah uh now he went looking through her purse and found her id and saw that she had lied about her name so he made her pleasure him orally uh again after anal sex which is ass to mouth is gross he made her t- trumpet or trombone whatever the hell the that's uh thing is called clerks asked the mouth we're not asked the mouth uh he made her tell him that she loved him and that she loved it and to oh, wish yeah. wish it a merry christmas if you know what i'm what <laughs> <laughs> he made her wish his penis a merry christmas <laughs> she's i guess july whatever <laughs> i know it's december but so <laughs> Now, after he... Uh, well, like, go ahead. What the fuck? Yeah, he's, I'm uh, just like, what the hell? He's so, so he's so <laughs> fucking weird, man. Now, after it's he... Like, All right, here, baby. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> fucking hell. Now, after he finished, he told her he wouldn't hurt her because she was cooperated. Because she cooperated. And that he didn't care if she told the police because he wouldn't get caught and she would be humiliated and her boyfriend would break up with her. Like, you can't tell anybody your boyfriend's not going to like you anymore. <laughs> He's such a fucking third grader. God damn it, I want to punch him in the face. <sighs> then he made her give him oral again. Well, yeah. I'm not going to hurt you. I just assaulted you for the last hour and a half. Forces upon you. I won't hurt you. Do it again. Do it again. Uh, then he told Wishing her happy to... Hanukkah. <laughs> uh, then he told her to get under a trailer and wait for at least 20 seconds. Uh, when she came out, he was gone. She was less than a block from her home. That's, that's another thing is all, all of these Scarborough rapes, they are literally yards away from being home it's ridiculous uh 
I'm gonna, with this next with this next little bit, I have to tell you, I, I I had two separate reference materials because some gave me information on one thing, some one gave me the information on the other. So there are some uh, I'm not gonna say discrepancies, but with with the 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 prawn book, which I'll get to in, uh, later, um, he gives he kind of wrote it right after like the trial. So a lot of the names hadn't come out yet. And with the Williams book, I believe he waited a little longer and some of the names had come out. They were more public information. So there's going to be some stuff that you might've heard one way or heard another. I'm just going off what I read in the books. So if, if there's something that, that doesn't seem right, that's why, but I think everything's pretty good. Well, there's this 22-year-old woman at a different bus stop a couple weeks later around 2 in the morning. It's a little old for him, but, you know, he'll get say, yeah, that's like an old, that's like him going near a pensioner by his yeah. age bracket. So he grabbed her and pulled her in between two houses and pinned her on her stomach and started punching her in the side of the face, telling her to look away or he would kill her. Uh, he wrapped a cord around her throat, probably the same one, and pulled until she couldn't breathe. Now, after he ripped her pants off, he raped her orally, then anally. He asked her name and demanded that she tell him she loved him. It's another big thing. Tell me you love me. Over and over and over again. Daddy issues. Yeah. He finished, well, mommy issues, I guess, technically. Uh, my mom and daddy never said they love me. So tell I me I'm a bastard. Cords around people's necks. Tell me to get over it. Uh, he finished finished inside her and then made her put it in her mouth again he ended up tying her to a fence with her belt before he left he kicked her hard in the ribs just as a you know a final fuck you I guess yeah. Yeah. yeah She waited a long time before freeing herself and getting to the hospital she was able to give the police a description of the attacker white maybe six foot tall 180 pounds Uh, But she never saw his face. But he talked a lot. She let him know. He talked a lot. Again, Paul never shuts the fuck up. It's the same thing that happened to Libby and at least three others that had been not so much raped but groped and fondled. He'd come up behind somebody and he'd grab them by the tits or he'd he'd shove his hand underneath and grab their groin or whatever. He talked the whole time he did it. Which is weird. But, you know. Uh, and he also al- always said virtually the same thing every time. And he wanted to hear them say the same things. Um, and it all occurred within a short radius of Scarborough's Guildwood Village. And this is where Detective Steve Irwin, not the crocodile hunter, <laughs> before. <laughs> <laughs> Got there before me. Yeah. Uh, and the complete and utter incompetence of the Toronto Police Department will make their debut. I mean, again, I was talking to the wife about it, of all the stupid shit they do. And she's like, police are so... It's like well, Dan made a good point once when we were talking about the incompetence of police departments. Is if, if they were competent, we wouldn't have podcasts. So <laughs> true crime podcasts only exist because a lot of police officers don't know how to do their fucking job. Uh, and they will just, and it, it's, it's the shit they will do will piss you off to no end. Trust me. They're too busy drinking their Tim Hortons and eating their, 
and their their donut their holes. maple leaf leaf <laughs> sucking on maple leaves and and hacky sacking mm-hmm. hockey pucks. Yeah, and becoming award winning podcast moguls. That's right. God damn it! I wish we could have got him on for this, but oh well. I'd give him a call now and just call him and just be like, stick him on loudspeaker for a second and then hang up. <laughs> Put him in loudspeaker and be like, Phil, why do the cops yeah. in Canada suck so much? And then hang up yeah. on him. <laughs> What's your personal opinion on the police force in Canada? Phil? <laughs> You're not too bad, eh? Uh, now, they will yeah. go to the hospitals when these women are brought in and get as much information as they can. The problem is what they do with it. Uh, now, in the book... Steve Williams talks at length about the cops that play a role in this story. Uh, Steve Irwin is one of them. Uh, He's a pretty big one, actually. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about them. Um, They do fuck up a lot. That's all you really need to know. I I will bring them into the story as needed. There will be a a handful of them. Just know that every single one of them fucks something. Every, I'm I'm not saying some of them fuck up and then there's these couple that do a good job. No. Every, every, every single detective and officer in this story fucks something up to the point where it makes a difference, a big difference. It's infuriating. And I can. So if I'm listening to this correctly, what, what's happening here is you have a real life Dungeons and Dragons party in charge yeah. of um, a murder, <laughs> assault and rape investigation. Who can't identify the contents of a sandwich, for example? Yes, there's. Yeah, they're, so they're taking. Yeah, pigs been there, pets. done that. <laughs> I know exactly how this is going to go. They are. They're <laughs> they're just a, a Dungeons and Dragons group that completely <laughs> rolls ones every time. It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> While sit, sitting in the police station, they only hear just the dice roll noise. Like, God damn it! <laughs> Be like, uh, okay, uh, uh, I'm gonna roll to fill out this form. You roll a critical one. God damn it. Um, okay, I'm gonna roll to write <laughs> down the I'm gonna roll to write down the date on the form. That's a critical one. God damn it. <laughs> Natural one. Um, now this brings us to Mary Booth. Now just two days before Christmas, she got off the bus around 12:50 in the morning and he grabbed her from behind and dragged her in between some houses. Uh, just like Libby's vaginal rape, then anal, back and forth a few times. Then he went down on her, and he forced her to go down on him. Uh, he made her repeat things like, I'm a bitch. I'm a cunt. Merry Christmas. I love you. I'm doing this because I hate my boyfriend. Um, the Merry Christmas thing and the I, the I love you thing, I think, is validating for him. The Merry Christmas thing, uh, I heard a... A theory on that, which I agree with, is that he's making them say things that they would hear uh, from other people at various times throughout the year that would bring the trauma back. You have to tell somebody uh, Merry Christmas is raping you. Yeah. yeah, 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 so yeah every yeah, time yeah. somebody says that to them, it's going to bring, he's going to be in their mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So, like, how about that? Red sucks. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a very common phrase, apparently, according to TV and movies. Yeah, but nobody over here ha- says, how about them Red Sox? It's usually fuck I know, the yeah. Red Sox. Boston I know, sucks. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's always been one of those things that was on TV for ages where it's like the, can't think of anything else to say. It's like the, the Ameri- to us it was like the American equivalent of, so how's the weather? 
which is what we do about <laughs> yeah, yeah. that weather. Yeah, no, nobody here says, how about them Red Sox? Nobody cares about the fucking Red Sox unless you live in Boston. Uh, he told her to quote, if you open up your mouth, or <clears throat> uh, if you open up your mouth, I'm going to slit your throat. If you scream, I'll, uh, I'll slit your throat. Shut up. Shut up or I'll kill you, bitch. Slut. If you scream, I'll put a scar on your face. What's your name? What school do you go to? <laughs> it's just, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to, and he actually doesn't have an accent. I'm just fucking trying, I'm trying to make him sound as stupid as possible. Um, but he, you know, he tells her that he's going to cut her throat. Gonna Succeed. Su- Success. Shut up, you fucking right bitch, you slut. If you scream, I'll put a scar on your face. What's your name? What school do you go to? It's, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Uh, but unlike the others, Mary was able to give a pretty great description of her attacker. I mean, she she was focused in. So good on Mary, because she does exactly what everybody in this position hopes they'll be able to do, even though it's incredibly difficult to do. Uh, she knew he was white, six foot, 180 pounds, light brown, blondish, collar length hair, clean shaven with a small mole under his slightly crooked nose, smelled good, no accent, no scars or tattoos, circumcised, a gold ring with three diamonds on his hand, and possibly a school ring on his other hand with a red stone. He drove a white capri and carried a stiletto knife in a dark leather case. I mean, if you can't get any more descriptive, <laughs> you literally you might as well have taken a picture of the motherfucker. So good on Mary. So a composite was <laughs> yeah, a composite that was drawn up that looked exactly like Bernardo. Pull up the picture. The pull up Paul Bernardo composite sketch and look at it real quick. Right. <clears throat> Will I get a drink? I muted myself while I was doing it. That's fine. Um, I'm assuming I'm just having a look because there's the ones of him in car, so. It's not that one. Is it the, there should be a the slightly it, side angle one? Oh yeah. Yeah. It looks exactly like him. Yeah, yeah. That Jesus Christ. I'll post that picture on our Instagram uh for, like, for everyone so you can so they can see it. Um Yeah, yeah. like you know, obviously it all depends on the angle and all that, because there's one of the pictures that you see from there, he looks a little bit like Gavin Rosdale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um but yeah, that's that's yeah. I that's him. Not... I mean that's 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 Paul Bernardo. You look at that picture, that's Paul Bernardo. Anybody who knew him would look at that and go, oh, that's Paul. Somebody drew a picture of Paul. Um, so with this composite, with this amazing composite sketch, they decide not to publish it in the papers or on the news. What? <laughs> <laughs> because as we as I allude to what you had said before, they thought it looked too much like every other douchebag in the greater Toronto area and that every mother, sister, and girlfriend would think that they knew the rapist. And this will happen more than once. If, if Then you follow those leads. 
if, if everybody leads. thinks, you know. Oh, the oh. leads they'll follow. Oh, God. They'll follow the leads right to Paul Bernardo. Trust me. And then you'll see what happens after that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you have a perfect sound composite like a, sketch. Finding a murderer or making a murderer. Yeah. You have a perfect really? composite sketch. You're just like, eh. Nah. <laughs> Meh. Ah, good God almighty. Sometimes you have to wonder about people. Yeah. <sighs> oh, don't worry. It, you're, you'll get more aggravated with the police. Uh, Jennifer does go to the police eventually. Uh, she met a Sergeant McNiff at a McDonald's. McDonald's actually kind of plays a big role in this story, just like like a side character almost. Good match at McDonald's oh, really? probably half a dozen times. Um, <laughs> just after, and this is key, she met him just after New Year's, all right, and told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. But she didn't want to press charges for the attack. She was too afraid that if she pressed charges and they went and picked him up, and took him in, and then he got out, he'd come after her, which is a valid fear. I get it. But she did want her money back. She had loaned him about $2,000, and she wanted that back. So it's like, I'm too afraid to press charges because he might what he might do to me, but a bitch doesn't give me my fucking money. I'm coming after him. I mean, two grand is two grand. Um, that's a decent chunk of change. Yeah, so. especially back in 1987. I mean, that's, I don't know what that would be worth now, but probably should have looked that up. Inflation Calculator Canada. Two euro. Two. <laughs> you never know. Did they smell like maple syrup back then, or was that pre or post maple syrup application to the known? Uh, I think that's post, yeah. Yeah, today that would be about almost $4,600. Hmm. So a good chunk of change that somebody owed you. Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, Sergeant McNiff couldn't do anything about the money. Like, you loaned him the money. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, but he did go back to the station and look up Paul in their files. And he found that Paul had been written up three times before, all involving Jennifer. Two assaults against Jennifer in which no charges were, were filed, and once for quote unquote mischief under, which involved Jennifer and a woman named Lenore Marcos putting, <laughs> putting her hand through a stained glass window. Uh, but also, no oh, charges yeah. were pressed. Uh, but he also noticed some similarities, like the fact that Paul drove a white Capri. He looked a lot like the description of the newly minted Scarborough Rapist, all the way down to his gold ring. Yes. No, you can't. Nobody at home can see. Nobody's listening can see. But uh, Dan's doing the home alone. Oh, look at his face. Oh, I <laughs> can't more believe shots, it. The more facts I'm learning. <laughs> so the good sergeant decided to write up a report, which is exactly what you should do. Write up a report. However... He dated it. He wrote it in French. January 5th, 1987. It was now January 5th, 1988. So it got misfiled. (laughs) Dan, in his... He just looks... He's not even angry. He's just disappointed. (laughs) I've made that mistake myself. 
<laughs> not in a rape investigation. No, I, hope. I know. No, <laughs> I've wrote the wrong date on a check. I've I've written the wrong date on a letter, maybe. But n- yeah, if exactly. I'm filing a rape investigation, I'm pretty sure I double check the calendar. That's the thing now. Like I, I have to write dates pretty much every single day, and it's right. um, a thing. Then when yeah, when it hits the new year, it's always like. Like at the start of this year, it's yeah, every you, day I was doing yeah. for first first month, it's like twenty twenty three, twenty twenty three. Yeah, you gotta you gotta train yourself to stop doing the twenty two and start doing the twenty three. Yeah. yeah, but you're a fucking detective. You're a sergeant in the police department. This you're is... a fucking moron by the sound of things. Like so far, like they're complete incompetent fucking assholes. Don't like they even managed to order the right thing at McDonald's when you went. So you know. Well, he sat down with like a coffee. He didn't get any food. He went to McDonald's, didn't get any breakfast. Fucking idiot. You at least get a hash brown. Uh, don't worry. It'll be okay. They'll do worse stuff to piss you off later. <laughs> Look forward to it. <laughs> now, I can't and won't go over every single rape he committed or attempted. It would take too much time. Um, I, I get that each woman has has the right to have their story told. And uh, if we had more time and I wouldn't feel like, you know, just throwing my computer into a river afterwards, I would, but I, I, just, I can't, I just can't, I won't go over every single rate. It's, it's too much. It's too much. But just know that from when the groping started in uh, May of 87, to the possible last random rape, at least in this area, in May of 1990, he either raped or attempted to rape between 15 and 20 women, possibly more. So this wasn't like just a thing he did a couple times. He did it a lot. Um, Paul didn't make it easy because he eventually started moving around. Police thought, well, only attacks that happened in and around Scarborough could count towards the Scarborough rapist. But Paul started branching out, hitting bus stops anywhere between Scarborough, where he lived, and St. Catharines, where Carla lived. So he's got a large swath of land that he's just picking off whenever he feels like it. He ran out of teenagers or some shit. Yeah. Now, through all this shit, Paul was still going over to Carla's house every Wednesday and on the weekends, where he was known as the Homolka's weekend son. Uh, the entire family absolutely loved Paul. That's something you see with a lot of psychopaths, sociopaths, narcissistic people. They have a way of turning on that charm to make people drop their guard and, and really love them. Uh, he was charming. He looked the part. He seemed to treat Carla well, especially in front of the family. He'd give her gifts, joke around with the family, show his ambition to have a better life for himself. And Carla, that's a big thing. When you, when you show the parents that you want to give their child a better life, that really, I mean, that, that'll get them. Uh, Carla would write... He said better knife. He didn't say better life. He said he wanted to get her a better knife. And they just misheard him. He wanted to get one that doesn't slip out of the fingers quite so easily. Yeah. Well, you just imagine him sitting there eating dinner with them and somebody, you know, gets up real quick and he just drops all his fucking utensils. <laughs> like, ah, <fuck." laughs> uh, Carla would write him notes and give him coupons to quote, 
receive one cute little blonde 17-year-old girl to put on his knees between his legs to pleasure him as he's never been pleasured before. <clears throat> okay. And he asked her to name his penis. Now, Dan, if you don't mind me getting a little personal, have you ever had somebody name your Johnson? <laughs> Um, no, not like as if like no, not like names like Bob or anything like that. No, no. So from now, when we meet in person, we'll be like Dan, Bob, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, me either. My wife is, uh, she can be mean sometimes, and she'll go, "Oh, hey, little guy." It's like, "Fuck you!" He's average guy. Oh. Slightly below average. <laughs> I'm good though. Don't you worry. I'm not crying. Um, but yeah, he he asked her to name his penis, which you know, whatever. Uh, so she decided to call it Snuffles. Oh, <laughs> James Westfall and Doctor Ted I call it the octagon. Sixty <laughs> percent of the time, it works every time, which is kind of going to be. It's actually pretty close to how often it does work, about sixty percent of the time. <laughs> but yeah, sn- I I don't know if it's like Snuffleupagus from Ses- Sesame Street because I mean this was the the, you know, the late eighties, um, but yeah, she calls us Dick Snuffles. Maybe because it's always dripping. <laughs> Or just, or just like kind of. Knows. <laughs> oh, look at Snuffles. Yeah. Or maybe it's imaginary. Who knows? Um, now, Paul showed an odd, and some outside the family could say a disturbing interest in Carla's 14 year old sister, Tammy. But more on that later. Paul took. <laughs> You'll like this. Uh, Paul took Carla to her. (laughs) This this you'll like. Paul took Carla to her senior prom. Uh, Her ex-boyfriend, the one that had ended up taking her virginity, was there. Uh, The fact that Carla wasn't a virgin really pissed Paul off. Like, this is one of those things. It's a a point of contention between the two for a long time. Like, anytime Carla looks a little too happy or anytime Paul's miffed about something doesn't go Paul's way, he makes Carla feel bad for not being a virgin when they met. It's like... Or shame. Yes, I know. How dare she have a life before you? Um, Anyway, he decided that her ex, Doug, was paying a little too much attention to her. Uh, Now, here's another thing you need to know about Paul. He worked out quite a bit. He took some martial arts lessons. He took care of himself. Uh, He had a little bit of muscle and a little bit of skill and had no problem overpowering and intimidating women. But when it came to men, or in this case, high school boys, things didn't go quite his way. And remember, he's in his mid-20s at this point. So Paul decides to confront Doug and the other boys of Sir Winston Churchill Secondary School, and uh, they don't take it too well. And Carla decides to hit a classmate with her purse, and when he hit Carla back, Paul stepped in and a brawl broke out. And these high school boys beat the fuck out of Paul Bernardo. 
<laughs> they beat and as it, uh, I believe in the book it it says verbatim, they beat the shit out of Paul. <laughs> if any of you high school boys who are now grown ass men happen to be listening to this podcast, thank you, <laughs> Doug. Good work. Let us know. I wish you did a little bit more. Tor- but torturebot at gmail.com. Doug, if you're out there, email us because we want to sh- we want to meet up and shake your hand. Did they kick snuffles? <sighs> oh god, I hope called. they broke snuffles in half. But yeah. anyway. November of 1989, 15-year-old Carrie Gray called the police to report a rape. They took her in for a composite drawing of her attacker. She gave a description that was almost identical to the two others that had been giving the previous year. They decided to give out the drawing and description internally to approximately 8,000 Metropolitan uh, Toronto police personnel, but again, did not go public. So you now well, you have three. I think they're still back in 1984, you see. That's the thing. <laughs> like, hey, this hasn't even happened yet. We're, the last time we checked our calendar it was January 20, 1984. <laughs> so how could we have a, a crime in 1989 here? Huh? At, at this point, you have three fucking composites drawn of him. And none of them are put out to the media. None of them. And they all look exactly the same. It, it's incompetent, is what it is. If they had a metal, if they just went to that McDonald's, then that's where everything seems to be getting sorted. Just, po- out. just post the composite drawings at McDonald's. That's all you got. Yeah, let's do. go for a Big Mac, guys. Sort this shit out. The next, <sighs> the next month, Carla got a job as a health technician at the Marindale Animal Clinic. Now, consequently enough, Paul quit his job at Pricewaterhouse and went back to an old job he had done for a little extra cash, running cigarettes over the United States border. Apparently, this is a big thing. I don't know if it still is, but I knew it was back in the early 2000s, so I imagine it probably still is now. But Canadians, or you know, Americans who dare go into the vast land of Canada, uh, will go over buy a shit ton of Canadian cigarettes, pack them into their car, and then drive them over the border and resell them in America for, you know, obviously a profit. And he made really good fucking money doing this. Really good money doing this. Um, he would all, he Especially also... The 80s. Yeah. Everyone smoked in the 80s. You're oh, born yeah. With a cigarette in your hand in the 80s. <laughs> You're born with it. He was born with a dark mark over his face mm-hmm. and a cigarette in his hand <laughs> and a broken <laughs> penis. <laughs> uh, he also started a worm picking business with an old friend from Price Waterhouse. All I can think of is Dumb and Dumber. Worm. All I can think of is Dumb and Dumber. I got worms. <laughs> it's like um, a worm picking business, just sitting there, just sort of that one. Like a lobster. That. Like you're picking out a lobster at a restaurant. Ooh, that one. Ooh, like that one. He looks yeah. meaty. He didn't put much of a fight, did he? Well, they would go out and they would pick worms out of the ground and sell to, you know, fishermen, stuff like that. You know, uh, pet stores that needed them for food and everything. Um, they went and got themselves a big van for all of it. And, and one day it was raining. How and big were the worms? 
<laughs> well, they're big those fat. big Canadian night crawlers. They're fucking huge. Okay. Um, but it was like raining one day. They spent all this money on a van and equipment. It was raining, and apparently you can't. I thought I thought kind of I a... thought farming for worms was best in the rain because the the cool. that's how you get a worm to come up is you put a stick in the ground and you like rub another stick on it to cause vibrations and they'd come up. So I figured the rain would be the perfect time, but I guess it was raining and they said they couldn't go far uh, pick worms, so he just quit. Okay. <laughs> Fucking loser. As you do. Yeah. It's obviously that Canadian rain is must be a different kind of rain. Yeah. It's, 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 maple, it's like acidic maple syrup. It's all, yeah, it's, coming just, down. it's just pure maple oh, syrup. Is, so. just, and that stuff will kill you. Just the sugar and it content. Ma- and, it makes, alone. and it makes the mooses go wild, you see. So, you know, you don't want to be out anywhere picking up the worms because that's their natural food source. You see, so they'll, they'll, so the, moo- the, moose, the mooses will attack you. You're just you're just you're out there the in the wilderness. You're combating the acid maple rain and the giant yeah. earth, uh, the giant nightcrawler earthworms that are coming up from the ground. And then there's a fucking moose, and you don't know what to do. No, that ain't the storyline for a post-apocalyptic RPG <laughs> game. I don't know what is. So, oh, anyway, uh, he actually made enough. He he made through his cigarette runs almost double what he made at his accounting job. So he was doing really Ooh. well for himself, even though it was completely illegal. Um, and he felt good enough about things that he went ahead and proposed marriage to Carla. And she, of course, agreed. Now, everything seemed great. So Paul decided to rape another woman to celebrate. Yeah, of course. Uh, Sharon Moon. Got off the bus in Scarborough around 2.30 on a Saturday morning. Paul was on his way home from the Homolkas. Uh, he walked up to her and slashed her in the face. Like, no, like, like he just walked up and like, there you go. Um, and then he raped her. Again, very chatty. You know, he, he's he's got her on the ground. He's just going at it. He's like, oh, I'm just coming home from a party. You notice I have a knife? Shut up, bitch. You try to fuck me up or fuck me over, I'll kill you. Don't you try. Don't you dare even try to fuck me up or fuck me over, bitch. I'll kill you. I'm going to leave you, and you can do whatever you want, okay? You start counting now. Uh, but then he did something he had done several times before. He came back. He's like, I'm going to go. You're good. Just give me a few seconds to get away. And then he's like, nah, I'm not just joshing you. And he comes back for more. Uh, Finals are up. And, but then he does something he had never done before. Uh, after biting her breast for a while, he ripped out a chunk of her pubic hair as a souvenir. Ah, Jesus. Yeah. It's like, dude, I mean, the rape, come on, but don't be a fucking dick. What the? That's just that asshole move. Now, by this time, (laughs) Paul had stopped worrying about being caught, which he wasn't super worried about in the first place. Uh, he ha- was making no attempt to cover his face. He knew most yeah, women... Yeah, he doesn't seem to give a shit. Yeah, he knew most women wouldn't go to the police. Uh, they would be too embarrassed or ashamed, which is true. Most women who get raped don't go to the police because of that reason. They know they're going to get, you know, embarrassed. They'll be ashamed. Um, they'll come off as the fucking bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Now, he was at this point where he just felt like he couldn't get caught. It was Robert Hansen, you know. Got, you know, you get to that point where, it's, oh, well, nothing's going to happen to me. 
Uh, she, just like those before her, gave the cops a of a description of her, gave the cops a description of her attacker. I can say it. Uh, by this time, there had been around 15 different rapes attributed to the Scarborough rapist, and many of them gave virtually the same description of their assailant. Up until now, they still haven't set anything out to the press. And the police had only actually, out of all these, the, the 15, they had only actually documented maybe six or seven of them. But in what decade? Yeah. But... Yeah. They finally eating, sitting in an Arby's or something like that. Or <laughs> sitting in an Arby's, just, going a fast food takeaway. Can you go off the top of my head? Should we be in a McDonald's? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they finally decide to release the composite sketch after three years, with a telephone number and a one hundred and fifty thousand dollar reward for information. Well, the workers at Price Waterhouse just happened to open up the newspaper a few days later and sat back in shock as they stared at a picture of their former co-worker. And it wasn't long before the sexual assault task force that was put onto the Scarborough cases started getting calls. One of these calls was from a nurse, Tina, who told them all about how Paul would jump from one woman to another, seeing multiple girls at once, stories of how he and her husband would take trips to Florida and drug women and take them back to their room before Paul would have his way with them. That's another thing you'll come to find out. Paul and Carla love Florida. Maybe it's the fascism. I don't know. But they absolutely love Florida, and they love Disney. Like, they love Disney, Disney World, Disney everything. They fucking love it. So he goes down to Florida a lot. I like Disney, but there's obviously something to do with stunted growth. Yeah. There. I like Hope Disney. Um, I'm not big on go raping someone. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't like Disney enough to start raping over it, but I do like, yeah, Disney. exactly. Yeah. I do Here's like your Mickey it. mouse now. <laughs> uh, She'd tell them about how he loved his old 81 white Capri and now how he now drove around an 89 gold Nissan 240SX. And she knew all about Paul because Nurse Tina was actually Tina Smyrnas, Alex Smyrnas's wife and former girlfriend of Paul Bernardo. She dated him before his tumultuous relationship with Jennifer Galligan. So, Detective Irwin pulled the file on Mary Booth, and he just happened to find the misdated file Sergeant McNiff filed earlier, uh, filed years before on Jennifer and her relationship with a one Paul Bernardo. So they, of course, immediately rushed to Paul's door to take him in for questioning about two months later. <laughs> what the? Yeah. yeah, nothing happens when you want it to. Got distracted by a sandwich. <laughs> That's what it was. He was know. just driving down the road. He's like, so many McDonald's. Again, this is going back to, or to go flogging a dead horse here or anything but the whole concept of them being a D&D &D party in real life 
like it, it, like 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 what happened with us in the sense that like I had something that was supposed to be one episode that actually lasted like eight sessions. Our entire campaign yeah. until it quit. <laughs> yeah, it was basically supposed to be only like two sessions. Yeah. Two, two sessions what was ended up being covered. And it's the same thing. It's kind of like, like do, 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 oh hey, we have this clear trajectory in front of us which we can follow. All signs pointing this direction. Let's meander off here a little bit. Pull a Skyrim on it and just you know, yeah. fuck off for oh, 17 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually come back to it. It's like, hey, what was I doing again? Oh, yeah. That thing. What's it like? It's like turning on a game after not playing it for six months and you can't remember where you were. Yeah. Like, they, so that happens to them as soon as they walk out of the office of the police station. Like, they just walk out of the sunlight. Like, can't remember what you... buttons do what. And you go out there, the detectives are just jumping in place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, you found uh, me. Did he just punch that hooker? Yeah. Uh, Paul <laughs> ended up going to the station around 4 p.m. on November 19th, 1990, and it was there where we, <clears throat> and it is there where we will pick up in part two of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Fucking hate this Paul guy. Like. Kind of want to make that. <sighs> la- I kind of want to make that last sentence more dramatic, but oh well. I already did. Uh, go on, do it. Do it. Record it. The, the, the Patreons <laughs> can have the original <laughs> unedited version of it. Yeah. Paul ended up going to the station around 4 p.m. November 19th, 1990, and that's where we'll pick up for part two of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. There you go. Oh, fuck. Anyway, uh, thank you to our patrons, Inquisitor Willow Quinn Fowler, Inquisitor Jayamondi, who recently received our free gift for subscribing to our Inquisitor tier for three consecutive months, months, which you can see on our Instagram. Three munched. He subscribed for three (laughs) munched. Um, And our Torture Noom at X Sinister 26. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Uh, If you like... For us to like read an email of yours or a DM, you know, get a hold of us, uh, torturepod at gmail.com or social medias at torturepod. Uh, you can go rate and review us wherever you listen if you can. Head over to our YouTube page. Uh, we've got a bunch of shit on there. Um, donate to the show on our link tree, which is on our socials. Buy us coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash torturepod. Uh, or just come to our Patreon patreon.com slash torture pod uh where you can still get that free seven days of our cult leader tier and you can always buy our merch at redbubble.com slash people slash torture pod dan do you have any words of wisdom for this episode yes don't uh let your significant other name your penis (laughs) always check your dates people Especially you, police officers. Yes, that's. I want some of you, some of you guys to keep being pathetic at your jobs because <laughs> it keeps us entertained. But um, step yeah, it up that, a little. That's... Bit. Not too much. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah, enough to keep us interested. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or us interesting. Even. <laughs> just, just enough to where we could still make fun of you for being horrible, but not so much where people die. You know, uh, since this is a three-episode series, we will do like we did with the Nan King, 
series and we will go uh, three weeks in a row. So you won't have to do a whole six week thing. So it'll be, you know, this week is this episode. Next week we'll have episode two and the week after that we'll have episode three. So you don't have to get, you know, six weeks of fucking Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. It's the worst. But uh, yeah, that's that's all we got. So take care of yourselves, take care of one another, and we'll see you. Goodbye.